and welcome to another episode of The Dialogue Tree. I am your host, Roger Reichert, and in this episode, I am joined with a very special guest. I have Ian Tournay from Phoenix Labs, the creators of Dauntless. Welcome, Ian, to the show. Hey, thanks, man. It's good to be here. Uh, so I have I have quite a few questions. Um, I'm going to start off with some basic questions for you first, but then we'll get into to Dauntless. Um, but I, I always like to find out the background, um, like how people got into to games. So can you tell us a little a little bit about yourself? Like how did you get into the gaming industry and and what is your role at Phoenix Lab? Sure. Um well it yeah, um the the short answer of how I got into the industry is um uh what is I think technically referred to as ass backwards. Um, <laughs> I, I I fell into it. Uh so I went to the University of Oregon um, in Eugene, uh, go Ducks, uh, where I studied music. I wanted to be a high school band director. Um, and when I got a pretty candid look at what that was going to entail um, and the the state of music education in most of the states, uh, I decided to swerve. Um, mm. I didn't know what I was swerving to, but I, I decided to swerve. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I had a part-time job in the mall uh, working at a GameStop. Uh, just to, you know, just to kind of have uh, uh, spending money. And uh, there was a group of people that would come into the mall pretty frequently, and they all were wearing the same sweatshirt, which I found out was the sweatshirt with the logo for a local company named uh, Garage Games uh, in Eugene. Uh, believe it or not, Eugene, Oregon actually is kind of, um, is a is a lesser, um, you know, nothing compared to obviously Silicon Valley um, or, or parts of... Um, you know, formerly Texas or, or Los Angeles, like where the id guys came from. But Eugene does uh, have a scene for incubating video games, video game ideas and video game talent. Hmm. And uh, so uh, Garage Games was this company that made an engine called Torque, and they were starting uh, this new technology called Instant Action, um, the idea of which was that you could play any game in a browser. Um, super interesting idea. No one stopped to ask why you would want to do that. It doesn't <laughs> matter. We all went head first. Um, and, and anyway, uh, this, uh, lovely woman, um, who, um, you may know, or your, your listeners may know, um, especially if they're involved in, um, any kind of women in gaming initiative, her name's Karen Clark. Um, she's completely wonderful and for better or worse is responsible for getting me into the industry. <laughs> um, yeah, offered me a job, uh, in customer service. Um, and I started working in customer service, um, for instant action the month that Twitter went into open beta. Oh. And I saw Twitter and I saw kind of the curve of social media coming down the pipe. Um, I was starting to get into podcasts and I knew that I wanted to get involved in telling stories and communicating with people. Hmm. Um, and uh, my counterpart at the time, um, James Wiley, who was the community manager, welcomed me over to the marketing team and the community team. And I became a community manager. Um, and I did that until um, Instant Action, which was too beautiful to live, sadly went under. Um in 2011, I believe, um, 2010, late 2010 or 2011. Uh, and then I got a job at Electronic Arts where I was the Battlefield community manager for about a year and change. And then wow. um, I went over to a uh, video game marketing agency called Eisenberg where I worked um, on Xbox and Halo and a bunch of esports stuff. And I worked with 2K and I worked with Warner Brothers. Really an opportunity to work with minds across the uh, gaming, both in terms of publishing and development. Uh, and then I got a call from one of my friends who I'd worked with 
at EA and he said, Hey, me and a bunch of the guys are getting, we're putting the band back together. We're going to start a, we're going to start our own studio, um, up in British Columbia. Um, it's called Phoenix labs and we're going to make a, a game. Um, what do you think? And I realized that I had been working in marketing. I'd been working in publishing. I've been working next to games. And I really missed that, that working at garage games, working on a game next to developers, Mm -hmm. feeling that creative energy, um, and so I jumped at the chance, uh, loaded up the dog and the stuff and drove up to Canada. Wow. Yeah. Was, was that scary though? I mean, like you left, a, I mean, I mean, you left a company as big as EA and going to a startup company, right? I mean, was that kind of scary? Yeah. It, you know, it's interesting. Um, it, it, it is kind of scary. It was kind of scary. It was one of those things where I think when you work in games, um, Making a game is so much work and it's so collaborative. There are so many moving pieces that, um, and you're, you know, you're, you're kind of forced to think in these three to five year chunks of time Yeah. that when you finally get an opportunity to breathe and take a step back, like I had just come off, I was working at Eisenberg and I had just come off of working on Halo. Um, we had made this podcast for them called Hunt the Truth, hmm. um, which I co-produced and co-wrote. And then I went on a stint doing Halo esports, traveled the world, hung out with Ninja before he was Ninja and whatever, <laughs> watching people play video games, which uh-huh. is, it, when I say it out loud is bonkers. Yeah. And so like, I'm all caught up in that. Right. And it yeah. feels so present. And to your point, right? Like it's there, these are big names. These are big projects. But when you hit an inflection point where it's like, okay, Halo is kind of going to go do its own thing for a while. And Xbox is, you know, taking a step back and we're taking a step back and everyone's taking a step back. You have a moment of inflection to really decide what you want to do next. And I mean, yeah, it's, it's scary. There's less job security, but um, it, you realize at that moment that if you don't take that opportunity, it might be another three to five years before something else comes up. And so you jump, you jump at it, you, you, you take it and you, um, and, and ultimately the most important thing is that making games, um, I, I, you'd be hard pressed to come up with a more collaborative art art form. Um, you know, cinema and television may rival it, but but truly, um, games are a seamlessly collaborative effort. And so you really, 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 really have to like the people you work with. You're effectively <laughs> yeah. going into a trench with them. And if you don't trust them, if you don't like them, if you don't admire them, you're going to have a bad time. And so I flew up, met the guys at Phoenix Labs. Um, and a really good sign is I was like, man, I, these guys are so smart. These guys are so talented. I hope they don't figure out how dumb I am. <laughs> uh, you know, when, when it figured, when, when you, when you meet people who uh, challenge you and inspire you and remind you that there's, you know, there's always something, there's always another challenge to, to tackle. That's a really, really good sign. Yeah. Um, that's growth. And so I jumped at the chance. Um and when I was offered the opportunity at Phoenix, so I started as the community manager. I'm really proud of what we built. Um, and when I was offered the opportunity to um, move into production, um, I saw another challenge and I took it. And so um, for the last year or so, I've been working um, as a producer instead of as a, a marketer or a community manager. Um, and that's that's been a journey in and of itself. But uh, every day is a, every day is a new puzzle to crack, and I'm I'm enjoying it. Yeah. So I suppose um, going to going to phoenix labs i i would guess that you probably have a little bit more to say right on on how things go as well versus working at a big company where you're just kind of a cog in the machine am i am i correct yeah that's correct um it's actually it's interesting because working at ea um 
part of the reason that EA was hiring uh, the community managers that they were hiring, and especially they hired me, was that they started to get really interested. They realized that there are all these people talking online. And um, they had been voted, you know, worst company in America, which, believe it or not, like, they care. Like, people, like, it's not, you know, it's not the kind of care where it's like, everyone wears black, and we have a moment of silence. And like, (laughs) you know, it's like, we get it. It's the internet. People are upset. But they really care. People really, really care. And they want to know, like, okay, is this... And it's not a like, oh, this is just a PR issue or, oh, we just have an image problem. It's like, hey, we have an image problem. Why is that? Because we're making really good video games and we're trying to make people happy and we're failing. How do we fix that? You know, they, they really do care. Um, and they realize that there's this huge, huge pool of information out there on the Internet that they're not reading because they can't because they, they don't know how to get at it or because it's just so like, how do you quantify the way Twitter feels? You, you know, yeah. and and the idea of sentiment analysis was a relatively novel concept. It's it's still pretty sketchy, but it's a little it's a little more sophisticated now. At the time, um, I was brought on because these were things I was thinking about, um, and you know, I and like Reddit was still in its infancy, and I was very involved in the Reddit community, and so they actually brought me on at EA um, for their flag for their flagship games label. Um, game, which was Battlefield, with the idea of saying like, hey, let's get a guy in here who is fluent in internet, who understands these cultures, who understands why they work, who like can look down the barrel of, you know, 4chan or something awful or Reddit, you know, brigading us and not flinch and see it as an opportunity instead of a threat. Mm. Um, and so it's it's weird because I was actually in a pretty privileged position to communicate upward about, hey, you, this is bad. Like, do not do this. Like, I know that you think that, that you're saying this and you you're saying this, but this is what people are hearing, or you think that you're doing this, but this is what people are seeing. Um, now that being said, you know, this was not me sitting down with John Riccatello and being like, Johnny, what a great round of golf we just had, but I got to tell you, loot boxes are very stinky. Like it's, you know, this is me, this is me sending out a report. That's like 50% of Twitter, not thrilled. 80% of Reddit, not thrilled. Um, but they really do like dinosaurs. So maybe we can do something with that, right? Like, um, so going to a place like Phoenix Labs and instead, instead of being asked to like create a report and, you know, shop it around to the different departments and make sure that it's, you know, perfectly versed and for a corporate environment, which, which, Look, man, it, you know, like I said, it takes a lot of people to make a game. It takes a lot of people to make a blockbuster game. Like people like to rag on EA, but if you want Michael Bay caliber video games, if you want to push the art form in terms of um, the scale and scope and insanity that can happen on a disc, it's going to take a few thousand people. Yeah. And that's going to take a lot of money. And if you're spending that much money, you got to make sure that you're spending it in a smart way. And sometimes that can get a little, um, that, that comes with strings. Right. And so going to a smaller company where instead of saying like, Hey, how do we, how do we communicate, you know, a report that, you know, doesn't ruffle the wrong feathers to saying like, what's the truth? How do we make a better video game? And how do we, how do we delight people, man, that's, that's a much better row to hoe. And so that, you know, that, and, and having, the, the guys at Phoenix Labs, like Nick um, Clifford, who's our director of marketing at the time when I started, Nick and I were the only marketing people. Um, and Jesse Houston, who is our uh, CEO, um, you know, trusted me implicitly. And and having having the power and the responsibility of communicating that kind of stuff 
um, was it was it was intimidating, but it was also, um, to your point, pretty pretty liberating. Yeah. In I mean, there's been several stories somewhat recently, I guess within the last year, right, where mm-hmm. developers took to to Reddit and uh, took offense to some you know some criticisms that they got, and and it got them in trouble. So I mean, I can see. You know, obviously having community managers is very important. Uh, so somebody that has a level head is very important, right? Yeah, as yeah. well. Um, and and the internet isn't always, you know, always in very. They're not always very nice, are they? So uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's. I think the important thing to remember is, you know, there's that there's that axiom that says if you had an infinite number of monkeys and an infinite number of typewriters, the odds are that given enough time, one of them will type out the complete works of Shakespeare. Yeah. Right. You have this like Borges style um, library of Babylon where every possible permutation of every possible word in a book is stored somewhere. And it's just an issue of what you're going to pull off the shelf. (laughs) Um, That being said, anytime you do anything on the internet, there are so many people coming from so many directions. You could cure cancer, solve world hunger, and you know, send the Oregon Ducks to the NCAA final championship, <laughs> and someone's going to be unhappy about it, right? Like, there's going to be one person who's like, "Yeah, but I'm kind of a fan of World Hunger. Like, don't yeah. you think it makes for better <laughs> art?" And you're just like, "Oh, oh, oh, my God!" Like, yeah. that's the, the important thing to remember, right? Is that like, it's not, it's, 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 it's about having a conversation. It's not about getting your way. It's not about winning. It's not about, you know driving home your message. I mean, all of those things are important and they have their place. But when you're communicating with people, it's important to understand that like, you know, um, everyone has an opinion and everyone wants to work their own opinion and everyone wants to get it in front of you and everyone wants you to weigh in. And it's okay to say no. It's okay to disagree with someone. It's okay to say, yeah, I see where you're coming from. I disagree. Um, And if you really, really feel strongly about it, I'd love to keep having this conversation with you. But push comes to shove. You know, we write the code, we commit it, we push it, and we're going to make the game that we want to make. And if it's not the game you want to play, then we hope that we make a game that you do want to play in the future. That's a totally okay thing to say to people. It's a scary thing to say to people because you never want to turn anyone away. But what you don't know is that the silent majority of people reading that are like, wow, that looks like integrity because it is. And I appreciate that. Or the people who are like, that is the game I want to play. They see that you're standing by your guns and, and they'll reward you. So the most important thing to do is be yourself, be sincere, make sure that anything you say, you're happy to stand behind and, and you know, go to the mat for um, because you might have to. And, and you'd rather you'd much rather be true to yourself when push comes to shove. Sure. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, so you started as community manager and now you're a producer at Phoenix yes. Labs. What does a f- producer do? Oh man, if someone could tell me, I'd be so thankful. <laughs> um, no, it's, that's kind of the joke is I, I think it's cause everyone kind of looks at production differently. And even inside our company, different producers have different roles, but the basic idea of a producer is, um, you have a director, um, or a designer or someone in the leadership group who says, Hey, you know, we're at point a, we need to get to point B. Um, as a producer, it's your role to understand stem to stern, um, forwards, backwards, upside down and right side up. Um, why, mm. why, why that's the direction you're going. Um, and then what that solution looks like. So you start by asking, okay, why are we doing this? Okay, cool. Um, 
how how are we going to get there and what's it going to look like when we succeed? Um, what's it going to look like if we fail? And it's your job to shepherd um, the people who are working on that through the process. Make sure that they have the resources they need. Make sure that the amount of time that's being allotted is appropriate. Make sure that the amount of work is appropriate to the amount of time that's been allotted. Make sure that people are staying on track. Um, when, not if, but when something goes wrong, um, you're there to step in and fix it and remove obstacles. And basically just making sure that um, everyone is getting to focus on the things that are the most important and that you're you're constantly moving towards uh, a vision instead of, you know, knocking down tasks. No one wants to color by numbers. Everyone wants to make art. And as a producer, it's your job to make sure that they're getting to do that. Sure. It, so it sounds a lot. Um, so I'm, I'm going to use a little bit of my software background. It sounds a little bit like a project manager, maybe yeah. like even like a, a product owner, right? So, yeah, it. It really depends on the, yeah, and it depends on the group. It depends on the project. Sometimes as the producer, it's your job to, um, yeah, just make sure the trains arrive and leave on time. Sure. Um, but sometimes it's your job to make sure that the the best, most creative thing is coming out of it. And sometimes it's your job to take something that's not working and figure out um, how and why and, and how to get the right people involved. Um, and sometimes it's your job just to kind of be a resource, kind of like a gopher and say, you know, okay, you guys are clicking along. Um, hey, we need a tool to better track this or someone needs to get into Google Sheets and come up with a way to create a database of everything that we're working on. And it doesn't make sense to take a developer and do it. So it in turn makes sense for you as a as a producer to figure out how to do that and, and make sure it serves everyone it needs to. Yeah. So um, do you work directly then with the developers? I do. Yeah. Do you, do you have a pretty big team? I mean, do you have several teams that work? Uh, we have, we have about a hundred people. Um, and the teams are split up for different aspects of the game. So like, um, and, and they're flexible, you know, you don't, it's not like you permanently work on combat. Um, some people do, um, but that's not necessarily the case. So like, you know, some people are working on combat, some people are working on the next behemoth. Some people are working on the next game mode. Some people are working on the next hunt pass. Um, and then some people are working in a department wherein your job is to provide resources to all of those groups. So like uh, Katie D'Souza, who is our um, uh, art lead. I don't know what Katie's title is right now. Sorry, Katie. <laughs> um, but basically she is the the lead art warlock. Um, and her job is to, you know, someone says, hey, I need a new behemoth or I need a new this. Um, she's in charge of saying, great, that means that you need, you know, a 3D sculpt, a 2D asset, um, promo art and concept art. I will wrangle that for you. And then someone goes, hey, Katie, I need to populate the next hunt pass with the, the next group of assets. Okay, great. I will get those concepted and made and integrated into the game for you, right? So sometimes sometimes you are the, uh, the, the producer of the work um, and somebody else is the customer. And sometimes you're both the producer and the customer of the work, but ultimately it all goes into a build and it gets pushed out and uh, sent out into the world. Nice. Um, my last nerdy question with, sure. with development. Um, so do you guys practice agile waterfall? What kind of, what kind of development do you guys do there? That's a really good question. Um, it depends on the group. Um, we typically fall into something resembling agile Mm -hmm. Um, but we will make exceptions on occasion. We've used waterfall. Um, and we, sometimes, sometimes it's as simple as, okay, we just need to work back. Um, and you know, you just bang it out. You just go task by task. Sometimes it's just like, great, let's get in a room. Let's put a bunch of, um, you know, notes up on a wall and move them from one column to the next Kanban style. Yeah. Um, but, but 
all up, um, we we tend towards something that's that's agile related with uh, using like story points, you know, epics and yeah, yeah, stuff that listeners probably don't care about. But I'm like, that's cool. <laughs> no, it's cool. It's cool. And here's what I'll here's what I'll tell you too is like if you are a um, if you are someone who's listening who's like, man, I want to make a game. Um, you need to know this. Like you're, it, you can, you can be like, ah, I'll figure it out. Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't need a project. I don't need to think about project management. I don't need to worry about what a scrum. I don't need to worry about story points. Heads up. You do. Yeah. Um, I, I worked with a group of guys, um, on an indie project. I moonlit for a while, um, working on a game called midair. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the head of the studio, um, was a, he was a former project manager at Microsoft and a lot of the guys that were working for him at first were like, hey, man, we don't want to work at Microsoft. I don't want to work for the man. Um, and about two weeks in, when the fur was flying, they were so thankful to have something <laughs> resembling structure. So yeah. do yourself a favor. Don't don't count it out. If you're making anything, it's always good to have a plan. It's never going to hurt. Yeah. No, agreed. Uh, cool. Well, let's let's jump into the game then. Let's jump sure. into Dauntless. So Dauntless is a free-to-play mm-hmm. combat action M- MMO where you hunt mm-hmm. behemoths. Yep. So there is some obvious ins- inspiration from Monster Hunter, it looks yes. like, if, if you're yes. ask me. But what other games influenced or inspired the design of, Daunt- of Dauntless? Yeah, as, as I will tell anyone who's genuinely, if people, you know, there's like, you walk by someone who's a little more pedestrian in the world of gaming, Monster Hunter, obviously the, the direct influence. Um, the truth is that uh, Dauntless is a spiritual successor to a game not a lot of people played called Pepsi Man. Hmm. Um, we like to think of it as Pepsi Man 2. Um, you know, you just got to really get those good bubbles. Got to get that good syrupy flavor. You got to be a <laughs> big shiny metal boy and run around. No, um, it, it, <laughs> that's, that's an ongoing joke that I, I can't resist. Um, we, we, a lot of us are really big Souls fans. Um, Dark Souls, Demon Souls, uh, Bloodborne, even, you know, like Salt and Sanctuary or, or some of the, um, like, I think all of us have played Blasphemous at this point. Um, 2d 3d whatever it is um but you know like high fidelity combat um uh, iframes tight hitboxes things like that um also uh free-to-play games in general right so online free-to-play social experiences like warframe path Mm -hmm. of exile Mm. um every time a new wow expansion comes out um there is a flu that mysteriously sweeps through our office (laughs) um we have a couple of people who are the most diehard Final Fantasy 14 players that I know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, and then when you dig into the game, um, like if you look at some behemoths like Rezakiri, for example, um, is pulling out of uh, bullet hell games, is pulling out of shmups, right? Sure. You know, it's is right at home with uh, an Ikaruga style game. Yeah. Um, or uh, if you look at uh, some of the other behemoths, you know, they have, you know, kind of fight and dodge mechanics that are maybe similar to a platinum game. Yeah. Um, the the head of our studio Jesse his background was that he worked at um, Bioware on the Mass Effect franchise um, and then you know went and worked on League of Legends uh, so so you I think we we aspire to build a world that players want to live in not just a world which is a conceit um, to mash buttons yeah. um, and then a lot of the people that have worked on the game. Um, you know, have, have come out of places where they've, they're more focused on characters or they're more focused on combat. Um, and the thing about Phoenix labs, what we try to tell everybody is that if you work at Phoenix labs, we're going to try to let you do the best work of your career. And we're going to make sure that you're proud of what goes out. And so, um, really, if you, if you feel passionately about a genre, you're going to get an opportunity to bring that passion, to bring your perspective, um, into the game. 
Nice. But um, yeah, in, in short, I, I think like you, you, the souls, the souls informed stuff is, I think, pretty evident. Um, and the 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 free to play kind of experience games, I think, is is in there, too. Sure. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you said the souls uh, aspect and and I've listened to other interviews. So, I mean, I've done a little bit of research oh, sure. <laughs> before <laughs> before I had you on the show. Um, but, you know, I I will say this. I am not a souls fan at all like i i'm not good at them and i get very frustrated but with 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 dauntless uh i don't get frustrated i actually oh it's good to hear (laughs) so that's actually that is working as intended oh good (laughs) yeah yeah it's you've probably heard if you've listened to any other interviews it's something we tell people is that when the company was coming together when um in fact i think it was five people just celebrated five years at phoenix labs um most of us are kind of fall within the three to four year range, but the first, like the original five, five or six just celebrated their first five years together. Um, and when they were all sitting down trying to figure out what kind of game they wanted to make and what they were doing, a lot of them were playing monster hunter. Um, and they're like, wow, this is really great. And they were trying to get their boyfriends, girlfriends, wives, husbands, and pets involved in playing monster hunter. And it's, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, there's a really great game right here. It's like, Oh, sick. Okay, here we go. And, you know, true to true to the Japanese game making style. And I, I will, I will cop to it right now love Japanese games yeah. hyped out of my mind for the next Yakuza game been playing Death Stranding I I, I, I worship at the altar of Hideo Kojima <laughs> I I you know shamelessly will name drop Ikaruga as I already have done on this podcast right like I love <laughs> Japanese games yeah but there is a level of obtuseness and abstraction there right that is not necessarily approachable yeah. and we knew that we wanted to make games for people that were inherently social that helped encourage people to play together that were really multiplayer and social first. And so we looked at games like Monster Hunter, where it's like, okay, you get somebody playing and it's like, okay, as soon as you're done collecting 10 gallons of poop and (laughs) grinding and like, there's a really great game here. It's like, well, what if we, what if we make this more accessible and what if we make combat that's really rewarding, but that is not frustrating. Yeah. Um, And part of that is that like, look, if, and there are going to be some people that hear this, they're like, ugh, ugh, yucky, icky, gross, casual, you're wrecking it. I have great news. If you want to go play a Souls games, there are five of them. And if you're really, really into it, you can fire up a PlayStation and go play Kingsfield. Yeah. We don't need to remake that game. It's already yeah, been made. You're right. You know, we have a different experience for you um, that's, that's a little more forgiving. Um, but also, I like to think a little more stylish, right? Like, you're not going to see you know, somebody shoving off of a gigantic monster and the twirling in the air and plummeting back towards them with two chain blades, right? Like that's something that you can kind of only do in a game that's a little more arcadey. Um, so, you know, if you're a connoisseur, you know, platinum meets souls is a good flavor and it's a flavor that we're having a lot of fun um, exploring. So I am very glad to hear that you haven't been frustrated, but that you do feel challenged. That is exactly the tone that we're trying to strike. Yeah. And, and the other thing that I will mention too, and, and this is, um, sorry, I didn't have this on my original list of questions, but no, it's fine. Um, so one thing I noticed about the game is like, I played my first game. My first monster hunter game was monster hunter. Try on the Wii. Mm. And uh, I remember spending probably about two hours on a monster and very frustrated because he got away and we just got its tail. Epic. Yes. Cool battle. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm like, I spent two hours trying to slay this monster. Whereas with with Dauntless, I mean, I jump in, I probably slay about three or four behemoths within an hour ish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So how do you balance that? Right. I mean, I don't want to say casual because it's not casual, but I mean. You know, the, the ability to jump in and do a quick game and also kind of play towards the hardcore players that are looking for something that's 
going to be that, you know, that I'm going to be able to jump in and play six hours straight of this game. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the way that I think everyone would give you a, a slightly different answer just based upon their experience and how they look at it. But I think the best way to explain it for us is for, for myself rather is um, I'm a really big civilization fan. Mm -hmm. Um, and I say that knowing that like, just by mentioning civilization, someone has chosen to go reinstall Civ and I'm <laughs> terribly sorry for the next 40 hours of your life that have just vanished. Um, but I think that tells you something, right? Like games like Civ crack the code early on in terms of goal setting. You need to, you need to give players the autonomy to set goals and hit them. And, um, that means having intrinsically motivated goals instead of extrinsically motivated goals. Um, which is to say you set a goal for yourself and you're setting the goal because you want it, not because mm. the game did, mm. right? Like you are saving Zelda because that is the point of a Zelda game. You're you're doing um, whatever you're doing because that's the point. Now, how you choose to do that is up to you, right? That And that's an intrinsic, that's an intrinsic goal, a smaller, a, a subset of the major goal, but an intrinsic goal. Mm. And ga gaming as an art form is both cool and challenging because... Um, like in a movie, you can set an extrinsic goal for a character. And then as you manipulate that character, you're manipulating the emotions of the viewer. And that is the experience of the art because you have complete control over that. Yeah. In a game, you lack that authorial control because you don't know how a player is going to get from point A to point B. Yeah. And when we look at games that try to exercise that control, you know, walking simulators, um, or like recently I played uh, Sayonara Wild Hearts. Yeah, I have nothing bad to say about that game, right? But it's yeah. not much of a game. It, yeah. it really is more of a like music video or something, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's great. Don't get me wrong. I will buy every single Annapurna game that comes out. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I think that that's really what we're learning about games and gamers are becoming aware of it, right? And so Dauntless, part of what we try to do is say like you have a, sh um, and, and getting back to Civ, it's the same thing where you have a short-term goal that you're setting for yourself, a longer-term goal that you're setting for yourself that helps you solve for the long-term goal that the game is setting out for you. Hmm. So if the long-term goal is, I want to complete my Escalation Lantern, I want to finish Escalation for the season, great. The way that you choose to do that is your goal to set. If you want to do a bunch of lesser Escalations, great. If you want to get all of the Malkarian armor, to do that, great. If you want to grind your way through trials to unlock all the special powers that are going to make that easier, great. But we're going to let you set that goal for yourself. And then along the way, you're going to have smaller objectives. You're going to say, okay, well, that means that I need to go kill 10 um, you know, shock behemoths to get this piece of armor so that I can do this, so that I can do this. Um, if we're not rewarding you as you're trying to achieve those goals, what starts to happen is your ability to see into forward into time towards your ability to resolve those goals becomes frustrated. And when that happens, it you lose your ability to exercise control. You lose your ability to interact with the game systems and you start to become discouraged. One of the ways that Dauntless, that, that I, I'm really encouraged to see that the attitude towards free-to-play games is, is has been changing over time. Yeah. Um, because I remember when free to play was a dirty word, <laughs> yeah. um, and that is, you know, still the case for some people, but it's lifting. I would encourage anyone who really cares and loves game cares about and loves games to think about free to play games in terms of if I go out and buy monster hunter world, which I encourage everyone to do. It's a fantastic game. Shout out to my boy, Yuri working over at Capcom and socks working <laughs> in the EU. Um, it, when you buy that Capcom has your money. And so you, you can get frustrated, right? Because 
what are you going to do? You're going to just like chuck the game and you're going to go trade it in? Cool. They've got your money, right? We are in a completely different situation. If we are not giving you what you want, if we're not delivering on the promises that we're making to you, you can walk away anytime you want. Our game's free. Yeah. You don't have to spend money. And even if you do spend money, it's entirely possible to spend like five bucks, get five bucks worth, feel satisfied and walk away. We are obligated um, as a product and as a group of creators to deliver to you something that is fulfilling, that is exciting and inspiring and novel um, and rewarding. And so part of with Dauntless, right, is like, I can't in good conscience sit you, I can't take two hours of your life and grind it up into dust and chuck it out the window, right? Because you're, you're going to skate. Um, yeah. I, I need to deliver on the promise that I'm making to you. I need to deliver on giving you the agency to achieve your goals. And, and so I think as a free-to-play game, that's, that's kind of part and parcel. Keeping things feeling good and rewarding and exciting is, is inherently, you know, we can't have a 10-hour lull in the middle of our game. It's not going to work. Yeah. It, do, you, do you find that, though, I mean, you're, you're constantly having to gain the trust of the player, right? In that yes. case, I mean, yeah. Is that, is that exhausting? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is, a, um, it is a challenge, um, but it is a very rewarding challenge when, when, especially like for a new franchise, um, when someone comes up to you, like when you tell me that you like Dauntless, man, that feels so good yeah. because it's like it. We set off to we set out to do something really hard, and when someone sees it and gets it, all of those days and nights that you spend agonizing, going like, oh, "Man, are we doing the right thing? Is are people going to like it? Um, it?" It's really, really rewarding. Um, I think uh, Jesse, when he wrote the dedication for the art book that we released, he he talks about that. Like when we were trying to decide what to name the game. Um, we knew that we wanted to have these moments where you're one little person and you're looking up at this gigantic, hulking, terrifying, earth-rending creature and you have to stand your ground and you have to dig in and yeah. you have to be dauntless. You, yeah. you can't be scared. You can't flinch. Um, and I think making a game is a scary thing because you're going to put three to five years in it. And man, at the last minute, um, like I remember on Battlefield 3, we one of our disc manufacturers had a problem and we had to scramble, but we almost didn't make a deadline because completely out of our control, somebody had ordered the wrong grade of plastic or something <laughs> yeah. in a manufacturing plant. And so like all the work of a thousand people over the course of five years was almost going to go down the tubes. Huh. Um, making a game is scary. It's a ton of work. Um, and you have to, you can't flinch. You, 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 you have to embrace the challenge and the thing that I think is the most rewarding, though, is that especially with a game like Dauntless, you're making a world that people might spend 10, 20 years in um, that might, you know, when we see someone show up in our in our booth at PAX wearing cosplay, like, whoa, like, like, holy, like, which is why, by the way, if you go into the tavern in Ramsgate, there are three slayers standing there. And those three slayers are actually modeled after um, three people oh. who visit us at every PAX in that cosplay that that is those those players are a reflection of the people who cosplay our game wow that's awesome and it's because yeah and it's because we're so grateful because that's such an amazing feeling yeah um and turning turning that that sensation from um in, in a truly interactive medium having that be a conversation is is really important to us and so we we it's scary it's a challenge but we embrace it and i don't think we'd have it any other way nice 
one of the, one of the features of Dauntless is the ability to have the cross play compatibility, the cross play. Yeah. Uh, and and I and I remember reading or hearing uh somebody that was uh that worked at Dauntless, and I'm sorry, the name escapes me, but oh, it's okay. Um, they talked about that this was the first game to really launch on all the platforms like that and be cross play. Yes. Why was that important? That was important to us because for for the same reason when we started talking about Dauntless in terms of like um you know when we started picking up Monster Hunter and trying to talk people into playing Monster Hunter and some people didn't want to get through the crunchy exterior to get to the the gooey tasty core um we didn't want the controller that was in someone's hand to be a barrier to playing mm. with their friends uh, we wanted it to be you don't you there are so many things in gaming that you have to think about and worry about that we just don't want people to think and worry about. It's the same reason why we worked really closely with Sony, um, who's been an amazing partner and the people um, on Nintendo as well to say like, hey, look, you don't have to have PlayStation Plus or the Nintendo online service to play this game. You can play it for free. You don't have to have a subscription service. We don't want you to, the la- when you see Dauntless, you're like, I want to be a Slayer. We don't want you to then think, do I have an online subscription service? Is it on my console? Can I play with my friends? We want you to to go from wanting to be a slayer to being a slayer period as quickly as possible. And we want that to be a great experience. Mm. Um, and so we were starting to see that crossplay was becoming a thing um, for some multiplayer games. None of them had launched with it. And the crossplay experiences were a little crunchy um, and they had a lot of asterisks. And we pushed really hard um, into a lot of people's credits uh, inside of Dauntless um, and over at Epic Games, we pushed really hard and we got it so that you can play with any other person. Um, and that's going to be something that we're going to bring to mobile, hopefully in the future as well. So people will be able to play on their phones. Mm. Um, and part of that too is just like, man, it is such a cool experience to go from, you know, playing, you're, you're playing Dauntless. You're like, okay, great. I'm having a good time on my computer. Um, at work and then you come home and you're like okay great i'm playing on my couch on my xbox or my playstation i'm sick you go to bed you're like oh maybe i'll pinch one more hit and you grab your switch and you you know and man that's so cool everybody wins it's yeah yeah, feels good yeah and it's one it's one account across all Mm -hmm. all platforms too so that's that there's also an an impressive feat yes It, it was not easy but we did it um and it's it's something that um we we weren't sure if it was going to be as big a deal for people playing the game as it was for us, but it has proven to be something that is um, uh, a selling point for the game that that we're really happy with. Yeah, nice. Um, one of the aspects too of, of Dauntless is the leveling, leveling system, uh, the master mm-hmm. the mastery system. Yeah. Um, so can you explain how that works and why you chose this leveling system over maybe the traditional leveling system of of RPGs? Yeah. I think a lot of it just comes down to, again, wanting people to decide what they think is cool and what they think is rewarding um, and not saying like, okay, you will grind this one stat. Like I, I remember when I was a kid learning, playing Final Fantasy VII and learning that like if you got to a high enough level you could walk out into the Midgar Marsh and there was like that big snake creature. <laughs> and if you just like, set your characters to auto or if you got a controller that had turbo or something to auto attack and you put a rubber band on the stick like (laughs) you could go eat dinner and like love like you know it's like that those days are over um 
And I think you're even starting to see that in, in there are some JRPGs that are kind of cracking that mold. Like I think when you're starting to see a game like um, uh, Bravely Default come out, which is a which is a throwback reaction to the fact that the genre is moving away from grinding when a game is like, no, this is about grinding because grinding is going away as a thing. That's when you know there's really been a shift in the mindset of players. Um, and so the mastery system is a way of really making you feel like a master slayer, right? Saying like, look, yeah, you can beat this behemoth, but can you be beat it like this? Like, you know, if you imagine you're in Ramsgate and there's these like grizzled scarred dudes sitting around a table drinking a pint and the guy's like, yeah, well, I did it this way. Oh yeah, well, I did it that way without the benefit of da-da-da. Oh yeah, well, I did it wearing its own armor, right? It's like, you know, and, and really, really rewarding that fantasy of saying like, if you see someone who has a high mastery level, um, it it wasn't just because they were willing to jam their face into it for hours and hours and hours, right? Like they weren't willing to just like farm it. They were willing to, to challenge themselves and push themselves. And so, um, you know, uh, up front, there's not a lot of uh, XP, quote unquote XP or mastery requirements. It's really only as you move into the late game um, and you start to fight the really big challenges that we that we encourage players to branch out and, and really push their skills and, and challenge themselves like that. Nice. Uh, in, in, well, I'm going to, the next question is about the free, the free to play aspect of the game. Yeah, great. Uh, so as we mentioned before, it is a free to play game with the ability to purchase hunt, uh, hunts or seasons along with other cosmetic items that you can buy through microtransactions. Why did you decide on this business model instead of releasing the game on a flat fee? I, I know you kind of mentioned this before about the, oh, the sure. fact that keeping it fresh, right. But uh, in, in allowing the, the player to you know, kind of dabble in it and decide if this is something that they want, but it wouldn't have been easier just to go. I mean, especially, I mean, I'll say, isn't microtransactions kind of a dirty word? I mean, right now. Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, I mean, that's a great question. Right. And I think, I think, yeah, like I remember, uh, getting my Xbox 360, getting Elder Scrolls Oblivion and finding out that you could buy horse armor. Yeah. And everyone's looking at each other and like, is this, are we cool with, do we like this? Are we cool yeah. with this? Is this, how do, is this good? I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Um, I remember uh, playing like Warcraft, OG Warcraft, and you finish Warcraft and you're hyped, and you feel good and you want more. And you have to go down to the store. You have to wait six months or a year. You have to go down to the store, buy another box with another disc in it for like two thirds, maybe even the full price of the original game. And that is how we did DLC back in the day, right? Was yeah. an expansion pack. Yeah. Um, and like, I get it. Um, I was one of the gamers early on that was like, yeah, you know, like microtransactions, da, 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 da. But like, if you're happy with the core experience, then you're happy with the core experience. That's great. Good. I'm, I'm happy. You're happy. We're all, we're all in it together. Um, but like the idea of having to give people money up front to decide whether or not you, you like something, um, I think is the, as the mark, as markets progress, costs come down as supply goes up, cost comes down, price comes down. Um, I think it's the natural progression of our industry. Hmm. The, the thing where it starts to get grody, right, is if you're being manipulated or if um, you're being pitted against another player who is having a inherently different experience than you because they are paying when you've been told that that's not going to be the case, right? There's, there's, a, there's a difference between 
free to play and uh, uh, a freeware game free for anyone who's not in their 30s. Freeware was basically like a demo yeah. that you could buy to upgrade. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, like I think I think what it ultimately comes down to is we're really committed to not giving people the ability to pay to win. Um, there, there are, you know, like, can you pay to skip a little bit of a grind or can you pay to make your grind go faster? Uh, probably. And that's okay. Not everybody has the time they want to spend. And like what push comes to shove is Dauntless a game about how many hours you're capable or willing to invest in it? Or is it a game about how good of a slayer you are? Um, we decided that it would be the latter. And so in turn, when you know, we've we've decided a long time ago that we're never going to give you the ability to kill a behemoth in exchange for putting your credit card in. If you see somebody wearing armor for a behemoth, it's because they killed that behemoth. It's because they're capable of doing that. Um, and so when it comes down to it, right, like these are the kinds of questions and conversations that are interesting to us. Um, and so we wanted to go free to play. And the other thing that's a factor to that end, too, is that there are so many people in the world who are never going to own a console, who are never going to own a computer, um, who can't afford, like, like the idea of, of you know, charging people $60 for a game or whatever um, in a place like Brazil, like, that's that's rent yeah. for a month, yeah. right? Like, that's not, that's not going to happen. Um, and we want to bring the game to as many people in the world as we possibly can. Um, and so free-to-play was just, that was the right answer for us, was let's get this game in the hands of millions of people um, and deliver a product that people are excited about and hold ourselves to that um, and and go from there. Nice. Uh, can you, speaking of hunts, can you actually describe the creative aspects when creating hunts or new weapons or new armor or, or new, new behemoths? Like, what, what does that product timeline look like for you from inception to the final product? Oh, sure. Uh, I, I may butcher parts of this just because like, I am not always in those trench trenches. Um, and the other thing too, is like, it also kind of can vary depending. Well, I think that's the first thing that we do is, is we very rarely sit down and someone has an idea and they just like whip it out. Right. Like we sit down and very purpose purposefully say, what are most players in Dauntless doing? What experiences are they looking for? What do they want that we're not getting them? You know, and we, and we go from there. Uh, and then you know, like, so we, so like, for example, the, the current escalation, um, the end of it is a uh, shock behemoth uh, that you fight. Um, and so it's like, okay, we're gonna do another escalation, probably shouldn't be another shock behemoth, that's gonna start to get stale. Okay, cool. So we need a, a different element. Um, we've disclosed on our public facing roadmap that I would invite everyone to go check out. It's very cool um, that it's going to be blaze themed. It's like, okay, cool. Spoiler. That's probably going to involve a blaze behemoth. Um, okay, cool. So like what? Yeah. Shocking. So like what? Yeah. Shocking. Well, not shocking, uh, burning, but yeah. Yeah. Like, right. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, so great. Okay, cool. Um, you know, what, what kind of combat experience have we offered to players? Okay, great. What haven't we offered? What have we been playing lately that we think is cool? Um, okay, great. Let's get some concept art going for the behemoth. Oh, okay. Oh, I, I really like this. Or, oh, it could be like this. You know, and then it's the kind of conversation of like, oh, okay, well, if it's going to be like, for example, with Malkarian, it's going to be shock behemoth. Well, that kind of naturally invokes the idea of, you know, lightning. Okay, well, that's the sky. Oh, okay, so sky. So maybe it flies. We haven't done that yet. Cool. Let's challenge ourselves. Let's have a, like a really truly flying behemoth. It's not just kind of hovering and go from there. Oh, okay. Cool. Well, what if we did this? And it, it just kind of naturally permutates. And then from there, once it's locked in, um, 
you know, we have really, really exceptionally uh, talented and gifted concept artists who get to work. Um, and then we, we start plugging away at uh, what the combat's going to look like, what that experience is going to look like, and then making sure that not only just like delivering an experience that's fun in terms of like, uh, you know, the fight, but saying, okay, leading up to the fight, you know, why are you doing it? Give people who are interested in the lore a reason to do that. Um, and then also make sure that it, f it factors into the larger Dauntless experience so that, you know, oh, I, this is going to help me complete trials if I want to, or this is going to help me complete escalation if I want to, and, and really finding ways to reward players however they want to play the game. And as we go forward, as we continue to introduce new aspects and new elements of the game, um, it is it is kind of challenging because we will both incur more responsibility to address different ways of playing, but also have new opportunities to find out, you know, how play styles overlap and what players can do with each other. Hmm. Yeah. In, in, along with that. So you mentioned, you know, players that may want to dig into the lore and some players might want to just go hunt monsters. Right. And when you design these, these hunts, or you design the armor or the, the, the creatures they are going to be fighting, how, how difficult is it when you have to balance that, you know, I want to tell a story, but I want also the players to kind of drive that story. Like, yes. <laughs> is that difficult? That is tricky. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think that's something that, it, that it's interesting, right? Because um, I remember when World of Warcraft was coming out and the idea that the story was in any way, shape or form going to be reflexive in terms of how players were behaving and the kind of adventures people were going on was super novel. Um, and now it's something right where like, if I were to say to you, like, well, you know, like the things that players accomplish in the game actually has an impact on the stories we tell, you'd be like, oh, cool. Not like, whoa, yeah. but you'd be like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, great. Neat. Yeah. Cool. yeah. Um, and we want to continue to push that, right? Like there are things, there are parts of the game um, like Benson, who is the the Ram who lives at Ramsgate. Yeah. Um, he was named by our community. Um, we we didn't do that. We didn't even really think about naming him. Yeah. Um, and I and I think that's the that's kind of the thing is is keeping an eye out for opportunities like that where the community is excited, um, but then also at the same time like not forcing it right. Like you don't want to try to call the shot and be like, hey everybody, it's your best friend of the whole world, Benson. And I was like, I don't. No one cares about this Ram man. Like this is embarrassing for everybody. Um, you know. So it's like it's it's important to to keep your head on straight and not. Uh, and and not you know get high on your own supply and instead make sure that if you're going to have interactive storytelling that it's it's collaborative and not just another way for you to um, you know get get another story out the door that people are or are not asking for. Sure. Uh, you recently brought Dauntless to the Switch. Uh, mm -hmm. What challenges challenges did you have bringing the game to the Switch? Uh, well, this will surprise most people, but the 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 secret is. You have to go in and you just you you pick out Dauntless.xbox and you just change that to Dauntless.nintendo and you're good to go. Uh, no, it's yeah, the 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 huge challenge, of course, is um, the Switch. Um, I, I will say first of all, I love my Switch. My Switch, to my surprise, probably gets more play than any of my consoles. Um, but of all of the current generation consoles, the Switch is the least powerful. Um, yeah. I don't think that's going to upset anybody or surprise anybody, right? Like it, it effectively yeah. has the power of like an iPhone seven or an iPhone eight, yeah. um, which is, which is both a testament to, uh, 
holy crap, how far we've come with cell phones. Right. And also, you know, kind of uh, an interesting uh, uh, reason to reflect and pause and think about, you know, like how games get made. Yeah. Um, so having the game, we know that we want the game to run smoothly on Switch. Um, we're in fact, we're, we're still doing work on that. There are parts of the game, like when you're in Ramsgate, where it, it's currently not running super smooth. We're already working on that because we know how important that is to people. But you can see that like when you go on a hunt, that is smooth because we understand that, you know, it looked like a low frame rate in the city is one thing. But if you're getting hit because you're it's choppy, that's not acceptable. Yeah. Um, And so prioritizing performance for different areas is something um, knowing that people are going to be playing over Wi-Fi um, and sometimes not the best Wi-Fi because um, just the way that people tend to have their switches configured or the way that their houses are configured or their their media centers are configured, the switch is usually on Wi-Fi instead of hardwired um, and, you know, whatever. And then also, uh, you know, just thinking about, you know, playing on a smaller screen, you know, is everything legible? Is it readable? Um, are the button configurations good? Trying to put a ton of time in with the console to make sure that like, we're not cramping people's hands into oblivion. Um, <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a ton to consider. Um, and it was a huge amount of work, but I, I hope that it speaks for itself. Um, I, I play a ton of it on switch. Um, and it's man, being able to like do a hunt in bed is, is next level. It's pretty sweet. <laughs> I will say that is, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> it is fun. It is super it, fun. It is. Uh, so I know you mentioned a couple of things already, but what's next for Dauntless? Uh, what's next for Dauntless is uh, we're going to be working on a new Escalation. Um, Escalation has been hugely successful for us. If you if you haven't played Dauntless, um, you know the traditional Monster Hunter format is you pick the monster, you go out on an island. Uh, well, you go out somewhere. I mean, in our, our game, you go out on an island, a floating island. Um, you track it down, you kill it. You carve up its parts, turn it into a hat, and then go kill something wearing its uh, its family member as a hat. Um, don't think about that. It's grisly, but it's very nice and colorful in our game. Um, and then uh, you go from there, and then you go back, right? So it's kind of like a single hunt, and you go back. Um, escalation is kind of akin to a um, more like uh, the... Uh, well, I don't remember what Mortal Kombat calls them, but kind of like a, a tower of power, a challenge where you have to go one behemoth after another, after another, after another. Um, and if you do well enough, you get to fight the boss behemoth, whose name is Malkarian. Um, we're going to do that again. We're going to uh, we're going to continue to invest in that. Um, I think we're going to be revisiting trials, which is our kind of more hard code time trial focused, um, very challenging high level game mode um there are some things that are working well there there are some things that need a little bit of attention um but we know that players like that game mode and they're excited about it and we want to keep servicing it uh and then we're working on a new weapon we're going to always probably be working on new weapons and new behemoths um and uh, you know i i'm never i would never rule out you know a new game mode um and as we like to tell people um you know, the part of part of the theme of Dauntless is that there are these floating islands that move and shift around in the sky. And that is a deliberate narrative conceit that allows us to at any time we want shake things up and say, um, you know, is this element of the game working? No. Oh, OK. Well, uh, that island has drifted away or oh, this <laughs> island has drifted into a place where it necessitates a complete change of the way we think mm. about things. Right. Like mm. um, so, it, you know, if you're playing Dauntless um, and you like really, really like or really, really don't like something, let us know, because we will use that information to to really make a change if that's what we need to do. So I would encourage, um, and even if you're not playing Dauntless, um, but you're interested in game development or 
you like a really friendly community, I got to say the Dauntless community is very friendly. Um, swing by, let us know what you think. Have a have a conversation and and um, give us your feedback because um, you know you'd be surprised if you're like, man, this really isn't my kind of game. Um, we'd actually like to hear from you because we'd want to broaden um, both your horizons and our horizons with your feedback. Nice. Yeah, that's one thing that I I um, I totally respect for for what you guys are doing is taking the feedback from the community and mm-hmm. and listening to them. And, uh, especially I think that, um, you know, like, and we talked about this earlier in the podcast, but, you know, in, in, in lieu of some of the negativity that happens on the internet and it can be very easy for a game studio to just be like, okay, we're done. We're not going to communicate with you anymore. Um, but I mean, that's, you know, again, I think that kind of goes back to that, you know, gaining the trust of the, of the customer. I agree. I agree entirely. And we, um, we we welcome hard feedback. We 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 are doing tricky things. We do it because it's hard, not because it's easy. And so, you know, don't be afraid to say like, "Hey, man, this is straight up not working for me." Mm-hmm. We we would rather know if if something's not clicking. We want to know about it. We don't want to just bury our head in the sand. So please please do let us know. Nice. Uh, this is a this is a couple personal questions, I guess, if you will. Sure. Uh, what do you enjoy most about working at Phoenix Labs? I would. It's got to be the people. Um, like I said, I, you know, we, everyone, well, not everyone, but a lot of people will tell you like, oh, it's more like working with the family than that. Um, it really is. Um, I trust all of these people, um, implicitly and inherently. I love working with them. They're creative. They're challenging. Um, there's a lot of different kinds of people working at Phoenix Labs. It's not just a, um, you know, it's not just a bro cave. Um, we, we really welcome and, and put effort into, um, bringing different viewpoints and life experiences into the studio. And the reward for that is that, um, I learn something every day about someone else's life. And I learn about how they play games and how they think about art and how they think about the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I look forward to going to work every day. Um, and I will say that while making a free to play game that is dependent on us, constantly challenging ourselves and constantly having to come up with the next new thing. Um, while that is intimidating sometimes, it's also really rewarding. And it is a it is a way to guarantee um, that we never get comfortable. We are always pushing. We're always looking forward to the next challenge. Um, and it's good to know coming into work every day that like I'm not going to just be going through my inbox. I'm going to be working to solve challenges. Um, and that if I solve those challenges, that um, the reward is that someone out there is going to get to have uh, uh, an experience that, you know, me, I, I, I stand to, to have someone come up to me and say, Hey, Dauntless is my favorite game. Nothing would make me happier. Nothing would make anyone in the studio happier. Yeah. We understand what a special thing that is. And, um, the, the idea of coming in every day for, with the opportunity of that being the case is, is extremely rewarding. So nice. Uh, my last question, uh, besides how to get a hold of you, uh, sure. <laughs> if, if you can go back in time and meet yourself when you're at the beginning of your gaming career, what is one piece of advice that you would give to yourself? Oh, wow. Um, invest in Google is never a bad idea. <laughs> um, no, I would say um, the, the one thing that I have learned um, working. So I've had the privilege of working with people all around the world. I've had the privilege of traveling across the world for work and working in games um, and the thing that I have learned is that uh, a lot of hard work, a lot of the situations people will find themselves in that are challenging or uncomfortable or that they don't want to deal with, um, it ultimately comes down to communication. Mm. And when 
you're working in games which are challenging and things can get frustrating and you you're you know especially like if you're working in community and you have people breathing down your neck and telling you that the game is you know janked out and they're not happy and da 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 and you're responsible for bringing that message to a developer and you know it's a lot of pressure yeah. um it can be so easy to get torqued out and twisted up um and what i have learned is that you know given enough time heals all wounds um, I, I would challenge anyone to think of a conversation that they had that they were upset about that, you know, eventually they didn't come out the other side and wonder why they were so upset or that it, it didn't, it wasn't as bad as it looked. Yeah. Um, and so what I've told a lot of people and what I've, I've learned is that there is an amount of time between when you get tilted and an amount of time between things are fine and, uh, developing your career, developing yourself as a person, um, and, and just really developing in any way, shape or form is an exercise in shortening the time between, uh, experiencing discomfort and finding acceptance. And the, the more you can, the more anyone can work on minimizing that time frame, the happier and the more successful they will be. Hmm. Those are good words. Um, how, how can people follow you and how can people follow Phoenix labs on social media? Yeah, um, where I'm, uh, I'm not super duper active on Twitter, um, just because I've worked in social media so long um, <laughs> that it doesn't, it doesn't feel like fun anymore. It feels like work. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I, you can always reach out to me on Twitter. Um, you can find me on Reddit. Um, I'm very active on Reddit. Um, you're always welcome to email me. It's i tornay i t o r n a y at phoenix lab or phxlabs.ca because um, we are a Canadian company. Yeah. Um, if you're ever at PAX and I'm at PAX, please reach out. I'd love to meet you. Um, I was, like I said, I fell ass first into the games industry. So as a rule, I pay it forward. I am I will actively help anyone who's serious about getting into the games industry, get into games. Wow. Um, and the advice I will give anyone to that end is ask. Um, it will shock you how many people don't ask. Um, the adage I give people is that in a given year, um, I will probably have about 50 people ask me about getting into games. I will then ask them to send me their resume. About 10 of those 50 people will send me their resume. Um, I will give feedback to those 10 people. And I would say two of them will actually get back to me with an updated mm. resume. Mm. And I will say that 50% of the those two people um, usually get a job in the games industry because it really is about who you know to get in. Mm. Um, but you have to do the work. Mm. You have to do the work. You have to, you have to mean it. You have to be willing to take feedback. Um, and you have to show up with your game face on and not your video game face, your game, game face on. <laughs> Um, so if you want to get in, don't be shy, drop me a line. I can point you in the right direction. Um, and even if you just want to talk about games, if you want to, you know, rap on what you think the future of Pepsi man's going to be, I'm there for it. <laughs> I'm there for it. Nice. Uh, well, Ian, thank you so much for taking time and meeting with me and talking about Dauntless and talking about, you know, working at Phoenix labs. It was real enlightening and, and, um, I'm sure a real special treat for all our listeners as well. Well, I'm glad to hear it. Um, thank you for doing this. This is a really great podcast. Good. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, listeners, thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. The Dialogue Tree is hosted by Buzzsprout, the easiest podcasting software for hosting, promoting, and tracking your podcast. The Dialogue Tree is also part of the Little Fella Media Podcast Network. The music for the podcast is from Blue Dot Sessions. The song is called Calm and Collected. You can follow us at GamerHeadsPC on Twitter or go to GamerHeadsPodcast.com for more information.